Good morning. I'm going to get set up here. I actually turned to the wrong one. There we go. If I don't do this setup, if you know me well, I'll just bounce right off the stage because I can't stand still. So when I put my leg up right there, it makes me feel comfortable. So thankful to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is John Palmer. I'm an elder here at uh, Three Rivers. Um, it's great to be with you this morning to worship in our Lord. Uh, we continue our study through James, and today we'll be walking through James 5, 1 through 11. So I'm going to read it, and then we're going to dig into it uh, a little bit. So James 5, 1 through 11. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume you, consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter, and you have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, under the coming, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soul, being patient about it, until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Wow, so verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. We have to start by asking, who is James actually addressing here? Is he addressing believers or non-believers? Well, come to find out there's commentary on both sides of the spectrum. I often use commentary to help me dig into the details of Scripture, but I do not come to a conclusion based on that alone. I'm going to share with you what the Lord has shown me, and you can take that and wrestle with it in your own study. So we know from James 1 that this letter was written to the 12 tribes of Israel dispersed abroad. James knows his audience would be familiar with the Scriptures, and he even pulls from the scriptures as he writes to God to his, uh, to his point. And we will see that in our study today. So there is no doubt that the audience James has written this letter to know who God is and what he has done as written in the scriptures. There is evidence that James understands and even writes to the fact that there are unbelievers mixed in with the believers. Maybe even those who by cultural means 
believe they are following the Lord, but their actions are disproving it. As I wrote this, it reminded me of the book, The Unsaved Christian by Dean and Sarah. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend that book. So a few verses back in chapter 4, specifically verses 13 through 17, uh, act as a bridge between theme changes. And we know James is addressing his brothers. We can look at verse 11 and find that. He goes on to correct those brothers in verses 13 through 17, whose posture is towards their own business ventures. They're even boasting about a time, uh, time frame as to which they will engage in business and make a profit. James is course correcting those Christian brothers who have gotten a little bit sideways, a little degree off the north. There's nothing wrong with making money. The error was in their arrogance, thinking they were in control of it. And one thing that I noticed uh, throughout James is that he repeatedly begins sections of his letter with my brethren or my beloved brethren, therefore bringing emphasis on who he's speaking to. So verse 1 here in chapter 5 uh, is the only place in James where I could find that he actually calls out specifically who he's addressing, addressing that's different than my brothers. He says, come now, you rich. That don't sound like a very comforting address. And as we keep reading, we'll see James has some pretty harsh words for these people. We learn that these people are landowners who are oppressing the poor. He's urging them to weep and howl for what they are doing. Not in the sense that they mourn for what they are doing to the poor, as in feeling sorry, but more for wailing about the doom that is coming for them. He says, for your miseries which are coming upon you. Moving on to verse 2 and 3, James uses these two verses to describe how useless their riches are when they stand before God. He said, their riches have rotted and their garments have become moth-eaten. A little side note here, when I, when I read moth-eaten, I, I could get the smell of my Nana's closet. I know that sounds weird, but that's the smell that I had. He said, their gold and their silver have rusted. So for us science nerds, we know that gold and silver don't rust. Again, James is using this to describe the uselessness of even gold and silver that have been hoarded, hoarded by the rich. He says that the rust will be a witness against them. What they have stored up for what they think will be a comfort and a pleasure for them in the future is actually storing up the wrath of God's consuming fire. Their trust in their money and material things and not in God. The rich were notorious for being able to buy off the courts in their day. But when standing before the righteous judge in God's court, their prized possessions are witnesses against them and they stand condemned. And these verses remind us of what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven whether neither, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In verses 4 through 6, 
we can clearly understand and see here the heart of these rich people. They have hired laborers to take care of their land and they are not paying them their daily wages. So here's the cool part for the righteous laborers and the scary part for the rich landowners. The Lord hears the prayers and the cries of the oppressed. The laborers have cried out to God and he hears them. The oppressed cry out, uh, outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of Lord Almighty. James is taking this from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. If we read Deuteronomy 24, 14 through 15, it says, You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your countrymen or one of your aliens who is in your land and in your towns. You shall give him his, his wages on his day before the sun sets. For he is poor and sets his heart on it so that he will not cry out against you to the Lord and it becomes sin in you. Again, James clearly points to the doom that is lurking for the rich landowners. He says, you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. His readers are familiar with fattening up the livestock for slaughter. He's using that imagery so that they know exactly what he's talking about. He's telling them that they are feeding their hearts with greed and selfish pleasures, fattening them up for the day of judgment. And verse 6 continues to describe their doom. He says, you have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Put to death, also known as murder, murdering the righteous man. The poor laborers rely on their daily wages to live. If they do not get paid, they don't eat. Therefore, the withholding of their daily wages is taking control of the very substance of what it takes to sustain life. They would face dying without their daily wages. This is yet another sin that the rich landowners who, uh, will have to answer for when standing in front of God. And now let's take a look at verse 7. And James kind of flips here who he's speaking to. He says, Therefore be patient, brethren. So now he's addressing his brothers in Christ, those righteous laborers who are being oppressed. James encourages them to be patient until the coming of the Lord. He gives them an example that they are surely familiar with, an agricultural example. They live out the life of waiting on the rains and waiting on the fields to produce. So this put thing, puts things in perspective for them about patience. Again in verse 8, he encourages them again and gives them another statement of hope that the Lord's coming is near. In verse 9, James gives the laborers a warning. Uh, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Now we all know that when the heat gets turned up, we can sometimes take that out on one another. And this is what James is warning them about. He's saying, I know it's hard, but don't take your hardship out on your brother. And I'm not too sure that we can even relate to the hardship of these laborers in our day. Working all day for the hope of daily wages only to be withheld. Not having enough money to feed their families 
or even feed themselves. So take a minute to sit in that and try to understand their situation. You can understand how they would, they would be uh, pushed to bickering between one another. And we see that fighting and that bickering between our brothers and sisters today in our culture and our situations are not quite near the life-threatening ones that these laborers are faced with. So the heightened call to be at peace with our brothers and sisters can be overlooked in this passage because it is addressed rather quickly as you read through it. But the result of quarreling with your brother is clearly pointed out by James. He says, you bring judgment on yourself in the day of the Lord. The judge is standing right at the door. In verses 10 and 11, James then turns, turns to some good examples of suffering and patience. The prophets and Job. James knows his audience is already familiar with the endurance of both. The prophets spoke in the name of the Lord, oftentimes knowing that there was going to be backlash that led to their suffering, always enduring that suffering with patience time and time again. And if you don't know the story of Job, go read it. Job was stripped of everything and endured all kinds of physical suffering along with constant finger pointing from his friends. So the good news is that Job was restored and redeemed in the end. James ends verse 11 with confirming two of the Lord's awesome characteristics, full of compassion and merciful. What a great hope that is to those that are suffering. So what do we do? What do we do with all that? I know that was a quick uh, kind of run through of, of uh, the scripture verses, but man, what do we do with that? So we can learn from the, the rich landowners of what not to do. We can learn to not store up our treasures here on earth. And that takes some, some really deep self-evaluation. And I, I thought for a minute, you know, maybe I'll pull some really cool statistics about how rich we are in this country, but I don't think I need to do that. I think you can go to Google and you can search and find out for yourself. It's pretty, pretty easy to find out where we stand in the world when it comes to income. The question that we should constantly ask ourselves is what do I value? Is my trust and my value in my bank account? Is my trust and my value in my retirement? Is my trust and my value in my things. So basically, is my trust in my stash or is my trust in the Lord? Now, I don't think that any of us is purposefully oppressing the poor, at least I hope not. But misplaced trust and comfort in earthly things can make us act and think differently towards one another. So be careful and be mindful of where, your place, where you place your value and your trust. Number two, the Lord hears the prayers of the suffering and oppressed. So if you're following Jesus, there's some level of suffering will come. There's all kinds of suffering. It's not just physical. I know we, we talked a lot about physical suffering here, but there's a lot in our culture that's mental. So if you're feeling that, pray. That's some good news that the Lord hears us. 
Spend time talking with the Lord. He hears you and he has compassion and is merciful. And number three, be patient in our suffering. It's one of the easiest things to say, one of the hardest things to do. I'm not a very patient dude. <laughs> so I have to be careful and do some self-reflection that will help me and, and hopefully help you have more self-control. So to be aware of our actions as to, as to not take our suffering out on our brothers and sisters in Christ. So do some, do some self-evaluation to know your limit. So once you know your limit, you can then put into practice good self-control. One thing that I've learned that's helpful for me is I call it out. When you reach your limit, be quick to tell your brother or sister. This gives them the insight into your suffering and gives them an opportunity to navigate those conversations with love and allows them to bear those burdens with you. Listen, isolation grows impatience. Isolation grows impatience. Surround yourself with brothers and sisters that will walk right next to you in your suffering. If you're having trouble finding that community, one that will walk with you, I invite you to come talk to me or one of the elders. and We will gladly point you to a radical life group that would welcome you with open arms. If you are currently in a group, I pray that you keep leaning in. And sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it's hard. Because we get in, we, we have to, to create this level of trust with one another. And that lets our guards down. And that opens us up to people knowing our stuff. It's not easy. But it's kingdom. And it's messy here because we're in sin. But it's beautiful there. And the view that the people from the outside get of us shows them Jesus. So get in that community with those people and share your burdens with them. And finally, number four in the band, uh, you can start making your way up as we wrap up here. Number four, look forward to the coming of the Lord. I put an exclamation mark on that and I didn't even do a good job. Look forward to the coming of the Lord. Can I get an amen? Jesus will return and complete the restoration. This is good news. This is great news for those that are suffering. Be excited. Be alert. Always be ready. Wait on the Lord with patient endurance. And the only way that we can respond to that great news and what Mitch said this morning is worship and song. Raise up your voices and sing. Always sing. The Lord hears the voices of his children. So let's pray. Lord, we are thankful 
for your holy word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thank you for who you are, a holy and righteous judge. We sing praise to you now in Jesus' name. So sure and steady. 